Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ruler Long Reads, the finest long-form cycling features and stories from Ruler magazine. Ruler Long Reads is supported by Lacquer Bicycle Insurance. Go to lacquer.co.uk and use the discount code RULER for a £10 credit. 2011 Paris-Roubaix winner Johan van Sumeren was forced to retire due to a diagnosis of heart problems. His struggle is real, but he's still alive. Others were not so lucky. First, a short message from our sponsor. I'm Mark Williamson, and I've been a Lacquer customer since the start of 2019, so about eight months now. So I was on this new bike and stopped off at a coffee shop at a hotel just to send a few emails and make a call. Came out and found someone had taken off um, the headset at the front. They'd cut the braking gear cables, they'd unscrewed the handlebars and stolen the, the, the bars and shifters. Lacquer were phenomenal, actually. I was blown away by both the immediacy and the kind of helpfulness of the support. They seemed keen to help. Uh, and it was just a remarkably hassle-free experience. couldn't have been happier with the service despite being incredibly frustrated that somebody had decapitated my uh, my new bike. Heartbroken by Emil Helvig Fogert and Olobitsu. Originally from Ruler issue 20.2. Read by George Oliver. Fuck you and your small problems. The words burst out of Johann van Sumeren. It should have been an ordinary dinner. The peloton had just finished the second stage of the 2016 Tour of Oman, 162 kilometres ending in the small fishing village of Kiryat. Van Sumeren's legs felt worse than ever, having momentarily cramped while going up a steep climb. Sitting in the hotel restaurant, he was eating with his AG2R La Mondiale teammate Domenico Pozzavivo. In true Italian fashion, Pozzavivo was complaining about the state of his pasta and how it was cooked, not living up to his home country's standards. Meanwhile, Van Sumeren wrestled bigger thoughts. He hadn't expected the ramifications of the phone call he received moments before dinner. Possevivo's pasta palava put him over the edge. He cursed, threw his fork to the side and left. The Belgian went to his hotel room, walked around in circles and muttered fuck, 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 fuck to himself. He was afraid. His sports director, Vincent Lavenu, came to his room, surprised by the out-of-character reaction. Van Sumeren told him about the phone call. Two months prior to the tour of Oman, doctors had found a life-threatening arrhythmia in Van Sumeren's heart. 
He had been through dozens of checks and was equipped with a heart monitor during the Middle Eastern race. The cardiologists back in Belgium had seen the exact moment his legs cramped, and it correlated with a spike in his heartbeat. That's why they called him. Aware of the initial tests, the AG2R doctors banned Van Sumeren from finishing the race. Hours later, Van Sumeren was on his way back to Lommel, where he was born and still lives, transformed from a healthy elite athlete to a man with a life-threatening heart arrhythmia. The Tour of Oman would be his last race as a professional cyclist. Scaffolding hugs the walls of his gated country house. Situated an hour and a half northeast of Brussels, he's wearing jogging bottoms and a polo with the logo of his company, Johan van Sumer and Cycling Holidays, over his left breast. It's one of the only strings leading back to his old life. The Belgian tells me to keep my shoes on and not to mind the mess. The house feels empty, a bachelor pad that still clings to a homey feeling. Earlier in the year, he got divorced from his wife, a fact he in part ascribes to his embattled state after he stopped riding. Now 39, Van Sumeren was a late bloomer on the roads. His father, a doctor, had advised him to put off racing until he turned 16. Ironically, his father's reasoning was that it wasn't good for his heart to be pushed to such extremes so soon. When retelling the story, Van Sumeren laughs at the irony. Over the next couple of hours, he reflects on his life before and after cycling. He misses the feeling before racing, like you're going to war. Right now, though, there's a calmness in the room. Van Sumeren leans his 197cm frame against the kitchen cupboard. Next to him, his espresso machine lets out what sounds like a death rattle as it pours coffee into an AG2R branded cup. In the room next to us, his cobblestone trophy is displayed, his prize from winning Paris-Roubaix in 2011, where he rode the last five kilometres on a flat tyre. Coffee in hand, we sit down at the glass dinner table as Van Sumeren relates the final moments of his career. He talks about losing cycling like someone mourning the death of a close friend, a sting of bitterness mixed with longing in his tone, his eyes never resting as they flick from one side of the room to the other. He lets out a quiet fuck that almost swallows itself. Van Sumeren didn't leave cycling. Cycling left him, and he had no part in the decision. After the Tour of Oman, he went through two surgeries, but nothing helped. And shortly before the 2016 Tour de France, he held an emotional press conference revealing his involuntary retirement. My world collapsed. I wasn't a cyclist anymore. From one moment to another, I lost not only my job, but also what I liked to do. They took away a part of my personality. There was a lot of crying in the time after. A professional cyclist's heart is trained to be as big and strong as possible, allowing it to pump massive amounts of blood and oxygen around the body. Most cyclists have a ticker 50% bigger than that of a regular person. Miguel Indurain possessed a superhuman resting heart rate of around 30 beats per minute. A normal, well-trained adult heart has one of 72. But in pushing themselves to the extreme, they are in danger of developing arrhythmia. In 2018, Cycling lost two young pro talents, Michael Golartz and Jimmy Dukenwa, to cardiac arrest caused by arrhythmias. Among them on the tragic list of elite cyclists dying in their early 20s from cardiac arrest in recent years are Dutchman Gijs Verdick and Belgian Dan Minger. 
Bansuma and riffs off other riders that have dealt with it. Two-time cyclocross world champion Niels Albert, who ended his career abruptly due to the condition. Patrick Bevan, Gianni Meersman, Olivier Kaizen, Nico Matam, Klaus Lodovic, Nick Noines, Lars Bohm, Robert Gessink, he says, trying to think of more. To that list I can add Kim Kieschen, Albert Timmer, Tongi Teji, Will Walker and Ramunas Navodaskas. It seems like an epidemic has hit modern cycling. Arrhythmia covers a plethora of conditions, in which the heartbeat is irregular, either too fast or too slow. The most common type is atrial fibrillation. It affects the upper right chamber of the heart and can lead to a stroke and heart failure. It can be successfully treated by either burning or freezing the part of the heart causing the arrhythmia. The athlete suffering from it can lose 10-15% to of performance before treatment. On the bike, the athlete will say, I have no more energy in my legs. The heart is beating faster and the blood supply is not normal anymore, says Dr Pedro Brugada, who has worked as a cardiologist for more than 40 years, including helping the quick-step team. For some, it can feel like a fish flopping around in their chest. For others, like they don't have enough air. Or, as Lithuanian rider Ramunas Navodaskas, a Tour de France stage winner with Garmin in 2014, recounts, I felt like I'd swallowed food in the wrong throat, and for a moment I didn't feel comfortable, like staying in a sauna, he says. I still think about it. It's always on my mind. The doctors say it's okay for now, but it might come back after five years, or maybe when I'm 50. According to three leading sports cardiologists who have all worked with World Tour teams, professional cyclists are at greater risk of getting certain arrhythmias. One of those is Dr André Lagersh, a professor at Baker Heart and Diabetes Institute in Australia, who is researching how exercise-induced activity remodels the athlete's heart. It's clear that athletes get some arrhythmias more frequently. We looked at heart function after extreme events like marathons and cycling, and we've consistently seen that the right side of the heart gets quite fatigued, not working correctly, Lagesh says. Some can be genetically prone, others can develop from exertion. It seems like you can train yourself to an arrhythmia, he says. At the same time, people can train every day, all day, and never get an arrhythmia. What professional cyclists do is awe-inspiring, but not healthy. Their bodies are much like V8 engines pushing the chassis of a soapbox car, but striving for well-being never created any mythical figures or pushed riders up the last hairpins of Alpe d'Huez. The tales of cycling's greatest were spun from their ability to eat pain. There's a reason Eno and Merckx are known as the badger and the cannibal, not the bunny and the guinea pig. And it's the constant pushing of the heart past its limits, among other things, that is the basis for creating arrhythmias. As Danish cardiologist Lars Ewell Andersen who researches elite athletes' hearts at Roskilde Hospital, says, In exercise, we use the term supercompensation. You work out, are fatigued, rest, and then work out again. But if every time after intense exercise you work out too early before recovering, you put a strain on the heart, and it gets strained instead of supercompensated. Train hard, rest harder. Three-time world time trial champion Michael Rogers is another who was forced to retire due to arrhythmia. His heart ailment was first spotted in 2001 when the Australian was riding for MAPE. He was born with a congenital bicuspid aortic valve, or, as he explains in layman's terms, 
Imagine the Mercedes-Benz logo. It opens and closes in three leads. In my case, it opens and closes in twos, which means it doesn't shut perfectly, causing blood to go back in the heart. The knock-on effect of that is an irregular heartbeat. In the beginning, there were few irregularities, and it caused him no further trouble than the minor hassle of extra checkups. But toward the end of his career, he was really starting to feel the arrhythmia. 2015 was when I first became aware my heart was deteriorating, he says. As I got older, my cells became stiffer and my heart wasn't as flexible. And it was that knowledge of a deteriorating heart, and the growing risk of a major issue, that forced him to retire the following season, when he was riding for Team Saxo Tinkov. When you have that in the back of your mind, you can't compete. You hold back 1%. In the end, when racing, I couldn't commit 100%, and that's the difference between 1st and 15th. And I don't care for being 15th. Having dealt with it from a young age, Rogers has developed his own thoughts through talks with top cardiologists, Lagersh, Maria Brosnan and Sanjay Sharma, I was born with a malformed aortic valve. But if I hadn't been an elite athlete, it wouldn't have shown before the later part of my life, maybe first in my 50s, he says. Cycling is quite a unique sport, as it's very low impact. You can ride hundreds of kilometres and have an elevated heartbeat for six hours at a time, putting pressure on your heart. Compare that to a runner, who would rarely run four to five hours, and at some stage the runner will have some kind of impact injury, tendon problems in the knee or shin. In cycling, your heart develops more and is put under more stress. Rogers undergoes heart examinations every 12 months, and now, after four years of retirement, his heart has decreased in size and he's arrhythmia-free. That would suggest that it couldn't keep up with the demands of being a modern-day cyclist. It's fair to say that cycling at such a high level is not the greatest thing for your heart, he says. Endurance exercise athletes, such as cyclists, are at a much higher risk of getting atrial fibrillation. Conservative numbers based on research put the number of cases at twofold that of the general population. Other researchers put it at fivefold. If atrial fibrillation is at one end of the spectrum, ventricular tachycardia is at the other, more dangerous end. For a few seconds, this irregular heartbeat may not cause harm but for a longer period of time it can turn to ventricular fibrillation, the most common cause of cardiac arrest. Whether or not it's more present in cyclists than other people is hard to say, as it occurs very rarely in general, but in a small study, Dr André Lagersh looked at Belgian riders with dangerous arrhythmia and divided that with licensed riders in the country. He estimated that 1 in 5,000 riders will suffer from a dangerous arrhythmia. That number is 1 in 50,000 in the general population. Keep in mind that it's a guesstimate, and to properly show a link between endurance exercise and dangerous arrhythmias, a bigger study would have to be done. To give you an example, in Australia we've had five triathlon world champions, and of those, three have had a defibrillator because of ventricular tachycardia, says Lagersh. So what is the sports governing body doing to prevent this? In 1998, the UCI made it mandatory for all professional teams to have their riders checked in preparation for the new season. The health check must be conducted 30 days before the athlete's first race. It consists of an electrocardiogram, or ECG, which records the heart's electrical activity. However, as most arrhythmias come in random, unexpected spurs, they'll not necessarily show during the patient's test. Besides the ECG, an ultrasound of the heart 
and a stress electrocardiogram are performed, each one alternately every second year. The health check also includes urine, vision and blood tests, as well as a sports medicine interview and a clinical examination. Any death of an athlete is a tragedy, and although the UCI monitoring programme is viewed as sound and comprehensive, discussions are ongoing among all parties, including teams, on how to improve the prevention of sudden cardiac deaths during exercise, says UCI spokesperson Louis Chennai. At this point in time, however, there is a general agreement among the scientific community that additional testing or more frequent examinations would prove ineffective in reducing the risk of SCD, or sudden cardiac death. Dr Lagersh applauds every step the UCI takes at making the cyclist's health a number one priority, but even though Johan van Sumeren's arrhythmia was detected at the annual health check, most aren't. Awareness is up, and checks are more frequent and advanced. Dr Lagersh also points to the peloton being more open about their heart abnormalities. They used to come to me in the corridors and whisper about their problems. They were afraid to talk about it, because they could lose their contracts and people would speculate if the arrhythmia was caused by doping. But a guy like Niels Albert, who spoke openly about it, enabled others, says the Australian. The danger of arrhythmia and cardiac arrest comes with being a professional cyclist. Fighting for victories in Grand Tours and cobbled classics is inhumane, to say the least. Or, as Dr Pedro Brugada says, they put the heart under a lot of mechanical stress. They ask the heart to perform like a tiger, not a man. Nick Noines had to deal with this tragic fact. When we meet in his office, it's six months since the death of his charge and friend, Verandas Willems Krellen rider Michael Golatz. With 148 kilometres left of the 2018 Paris-Roubaix, he fell off his bike while riding on a pave sector. The autopsy revealed he died of cardiac arrest. He was 23 years old. It's really hard to accept. It's very sad, Noyne says with resignation in his voice, throwing his arms up in despair. While Noyne's was still active as a racer, Golatz joined his team and he acted as his mentor. I was following him from his junior to younger years, I saw him growing and that's why I later brought him onto this team. He had a lot of potential. Noines himself suffered from an arrhythmia while active, but it got burned away. He tells me that he doesn't expect it to change anything in how riders' hearts are checked. It's understandable, because Golart's case is testimony to how hard it is to detect dangerous arrhythmias. Besides the UCI mandatory checks and regular ones from the team doctor, Golatz was also a part of the Pro at Heart study, an assessment that follows riders between the age of 16 to 23 for up to 20 years, carrying out thorough testing of their heart in order to better answer the question, do bigger hearts get more arrhythmias? However rigorous the checks and strict the rules may be, it won't change the fact that not every arrhythmia will be detected and treated. The frustrating part is that you can have no problems and suddenly there's a bad arrhythmia, says Lagersh, who is part of the team conducting the pro-at-heart study. All the time I see people who feel an arrhythmia when they ride, but when we later check, we can't capture it, he says. We do state-of-the-art testing. Still, I don't think anyone can say with confidence that they completely understand it. One day, I'll also miss a patient with it. What is a man to do when he's lost it all? First, Johan van Sumeren tried to hold on to his old life. 
Shortly after retiring, he went to the Eneco tour. I was standing on the other side of the barriers when the bus is just left without me. I went home crying, he says. He tried to continue training, hoping he could somehow return, which in turn put a strain on his relationship with his parents. His father's fear of losing his son manifested itself as frustration when Van Sumeren kept going full gas, leading to arguments between the two. I was going apeshit. I was so mad after losing cycling, he says. Battling sorrow and aimlessness, he found refuge in partying and drinking for a short time. However, trying to cope using alcohol just worsened his negative emotions. More than three years since retiring, he feels like he can breathe again. The sadness is still there, but there's further between the waves. He still misses racing. It took me long to get my head straight. I think about it every day. I'll think about it for the rest of my life. I'll never have the same emotions again. It's not possible, he says. Nowadays, his relationship with his parents is good. They don't have to be scared every time he takes his mountain bike out for a Sunday ride on the dirt track. Long gone are also his days of going out to soothe his pain with alcohol. Traces of his life-threatening arrhythmia still remain. Every morning he takes his medication and he has a defibrillator implanted that kicks in if his heart rate drops too low. Van Sumeren tells me that if he could change anything, he would have kept quiet about the arrhythmia. Death is, after all, inevitable, and as he puts it, it's over in five seconds. If he could at least ride the classics one more time, the competition, the infighting, the speeds. If you do the same in your car on a public road, they'll put you in the newspapers, he laughs. But as soon as he says that, he changes his mind. That's selfish. I can't do that to my parents. Exiting through the back door, we pass his cobblestone trophy and a big portrait depicting Van Sumeren's suffering. Outside, the wind is blowing and a couple of tricots from his time at Garmin Sharp are hanging on to the drying rack for dear life. Others have given up and are scattered around the garden, relics of what once was. You've been listening to Heartbroken by Emil helweg Foget and Ol Obitsu. From Ruler Issue 20.2, out now. Thank you for listening. I'm Andy McGrath, editor of Ruler magazine. Independent journalism with unbeatable insight. For more of the best long-form cycling stories, individual issues, or to subscribe to the world's finest cycling magazine, go to ruler.cc.